Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Helen Hillix, and today's co-host, James Maynard. Today's topic, Granny Makes Sense of Our Hateful World and Offers a New Future. Everyone knows that there's a lot of fighting and rage in our country and our world right now. So much hatred, so much blaming. Why is that? It's because people are not getting our needs met, and we're blaming each other. Yeah, it's your fault. Yeah, oh, I thought it was your fault. No, it's her fault. It's her fault. Yeah, I feel better already. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but what can we do about it? Just Blame think. each other. Yeah. What would happen if we had a world where everyone's needs were met? What if we had a world where every person felt important, safe, and cared for? Would we still be fighting against each other? Would we still be behaving the same way? Not so, says our guest Beth Green, a.k.a. Granny Rocks. She says that when you listen to our opinions, we are divided, but when we can listen beneath the surface, we hear a different song. Can we do it? Can we change the way we think, feel, and treat ourselves and one another so that we can co-create a world that works? Can we envision a world where that meets the needs of people and the earth? What could that look like, and how do we get there? So stay tuned and join us for this creative and powerful conversation. Yay! I'm so happy to have you both on today. Thank you so much for joining us from beautiful Oregon. Yeah! We're happy to be here, too. And I want to apologize to James because I forgot that we needed the chat box because he has to know when to do his thing. See, I was completely self-centered, and I thought... I don't have to look at the chat box. Helen is going to take care of all of that. (laughs) (laughs) there it is. Meanwhile, I'd be sitting in silence for a long time. Right, 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 right. (laughs) But it worked out great. It did. It's so funny. I mean, what a perfect, what a perfect example of, you know, there are really only two, there are, there are not black and white and men and women and rich and poor. There's only those who believe in oneness and those who don't. That's very, very true. Where did you get that idea? (laughs) I wonder where I got that idea. Well, I wanted to start out today after welcoming you uh, to to talk about, it's so obvious how this whole topic that, of course, we chose weeks ago relates to the Las Vegas shooting and and the uh, completely being out of the oneness of that occurrence and how it has fueled the political conversation about guns again, just at a time when we're also seeing people come together in very unexpected ways. Oprah had a show uh, bringing Trump supporters and non-Trump supporters together to try to see what would happen. And USA Today is having a series called I Am an American, and it's all about people who are working to bring people together. So it's such wow. it's such a, a, a crazy-making world today where we have these heinous examples of absolute self-centered rage and hate, which is interesting also that that was in your topic, you know, that the, yeah. the hatefulness and the rage that is so prevalent today uh, is occurring at the same time when it appears that people are waking up to the reality that we have to come together. So I just thought it was amazingly fortuitous that you're talking about this today and that we all need, desperately need to know what could we do and what could it look like if we lived in a world that truly met everyone's needs. And I know that you posted a very powerful and uh, compassionate response on Facebook. I'd like to start with that about, you know, after the shootings, I'd like to start with what you said about that and 
as a kind of an entree into this whole topic of what the world is like and what we need to do to change ourselves in order to change that. Well, I would love you to, in fact, I was just thinking the very same thing. Maybe you could read it. First, there's a, you know, like a a graphic that has a brief, uh, two brief statements, and then there's a post. Would you like to read those so that I don't have to try to remember? I would love to if they were at my fingertips. Ah. Um, I'm so used to you remembering things. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know the essence of what I said, but I, I think it might be interesting. Okay, I can, I can, I've got it here. To read it. Okay. I'm going to tell you, I'd like to give, give the audience a, a little bit of a background on this, because I had said I am going on vacation tomorrow, and I'm not going to read the news. And I'm not doing anything. Of course, I didn't go on vacation, but <laughs> that was my intention. So I get up in the morning, first thing of my first day of vacation, and I get this note from one of our members saying, uh, I suppose you know about the mass shootings. Do you want to say something about it? And I thought, no, I don't know about the mass shooting, and I don't want to know about the mass shooting. Uh, you know, the, the only thing is I was saying, oh, I hope that whoever did it wasn't black or wasn't Muslim, because I'm so tired of these events being used as an excuse to continue to stereotype people and hate people. Um, so I actually had no idea what it was about, none. I didn't know who had done it, where it had happened, or who the victims were. And this is what came, I just went deep inside my heart. And I thought, I have got to come into a different place in myself when I write this, I am so tired of the anger and the polarization myself. And so I kind of went into a meditative state, and this is what came out. Well, first, there is an adorable picture of Granny Rocks, which is Beth Green, uh, alongside a quote that says, Those who turn their pain into anger will never find peace. Those who ignore the pain of others will never have peace. And I love that. You know, that's the essence of it right there. And it says, this time it's Las Vegas. We all that, want- by, that, by that time, somebody had told me <laughs> when right, I first right. wrote it, I didn't even know that. So starting right. from the second sentence is what I wrote. Yeah. We all want to insulate ourselves from the pain, the world of pain in which we live. Whether it's races or religions that are oppressed, the mentally ill or anyone else who feels isolated or besieged. Their pain surrounds us. We can try to protect ourselves from their anger, but we can't. And we have seen that over and over. We need to deal with the pain, the alienation and anger that are overwhelming humanity, or we will have to deal with the results, the violence that threatens us. Which do we choose? We're trying to deal with that pain. Just join us for our next meeting on October 28th as we continue to work together to change the world from the inside out. And for more information, contact Helen at theinnerrevolution.org. So, of course, I was going to mention that, but it's already mentioned, so that's great, too. So, that's what you said. (laughs) Yes, and no, it was so fascinating because, as I say, I didn't know about Las Vegas at the time. And I sent the whole thing to the group and I said, you post it, I'm on vacation. Uh, and, and later on, I did find out that it was, this, you know, and this time it was Las Vegas. But you see, it would have been the same statement had it been uh, ISIS or had it been, uh, you know, some black people or anybody. 
you know, a new women's rights liberation movement that's going to go out and start gunning down men. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, uh, whatever it is. And that was the thing that I wanted to share with you about this because that statement came out of a place of it really doesn't matter who it is. The problem of humanity is the same and the response is the same and the violence is the same and the need is the same. And I'm just thrilled about what you said about these uh, different forums are beginning to address the pain that is in humanity that is making us inhuman. And inhumane. Yes. Yes, it's it's so shocking. And the aftermath of events like this in which, you know, the political sides line up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, start yeah. blaming each other. You know, the, the Democrats start saying that the Republicans are the gun-toting idiots. And, the, and then the Republicans start naming on Facebook the the political affiliation of past mass shooters pointing out that some of them were Democrats. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. It's asinine. It's asinine. And also, you know, I, I had this thought when I did finally find out what this shooting was about. Uh, I had this thought that I wonder if because it was an attack on country music in Las Vegas, if some people who have been against gun control are going to say, well, maybe we shouldn't be so against gun tr- control. And that, in fact, is what's happening because so many of the people who like and love country music are also people who've been defending this, the Second Amendment because they're hunters or fishers or, you know, whatever. Uh, or they're from places like where we used to live where people didn't trust the government and all that stuff. And there has been some some movement there is like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have these things that bump up a a rifle into an automatic weapon. Or maybe we really shouldn't have silencers. Or maybe we shouldn't... And, you know, and I think gun control, of course, really has to happen. But uh, because if somebody had a knife, yeah, knives kill, but it would have been difficult for them to kill 58 people from the 32nd story of a building with a knife I mean, you could throw a lot of knives down and not kill all that pe- those people. Uh, so something has to be done there. But more important, and I think this is what you're getting at, is what is the real problem and why can't we ever talk about it? Why do we have to polarize and get into uh, shame and blame rather than saying, why are we so distressed and why are we not dealing with that distress? Why is our world so hateful? And is it any more hateful than it ever was? Well, and, you know, one of the things that you're mentioning that, that uh, you know, the actual venue that it happened in, one of the performers that was on the stage at the time came out afterwards and said, I've always been a strong advocate for the Second Amendment, and I was completely wrong. Yes, I saw that. And so, you know, it, exactly. it's, it, yeah, it is so refreshing to yeah. see people who are willing to change their opinions when faced with the facts. Yes. And that's one of the things that is so frightening, isn't it, about how do we reach this world where everybody's needs are met when people are so entrenched in their opinions and facts seem to make no difference. Yeah, good point. <laughs> good point. Yeah, it's like common sense 
we don't have any common sense. You know, I'm all for the Second Amendment, whatever the hell that means. But, you know, the Second Amendment means that we have a right to have militias so that if the, the British come back and try to take us over, we're ready. <laughs> exactly. And you know, have one bullet at one bullet shot per minute. Right, right. Versus uh, the idea that every child can go into the refrigerator, pull out a gun and shoot their brother. You know, I don't think that was the, the intention. But see, so much, and this is so related to what you're saying. We're not really trying to solve problems, are we? We're no. trying to be right. We're trying to prove a point. We're trying to find a way to make ourselves look and be more powerful than anyone else. And that brings us back to that little devil that we speak of many, many times, which is the ego and how we're always trying to prove something. And that really gets in the way of our talking to one another and really finding out what the hurt is. I, I don't even want to know uh, how I might have hurt somebody because I might be embarrassed. So, oh, that's really important. You exactly, know? really like, important. Like whether or not I'm embarrassed. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Oh, my God, I might be wrong. And, and you know, and what happened to us as children that make us so afraid to be wrong or to be seen as wrong? Well, and, absolutely. Uh, and then what happened to us as children that made it so hard for us to learn anything? You know, why do people... I, I have done so many posts where, for example, uh, was it last week or the week before, when we were actually worrying about North Korea, uh, which we should still be worrying about. But <laughs> anyway, uh, so I did a post which wasn't even me. I was just uh, passing on some information that I had seen on the Washington Post. It was a video. And it was on my Facebook, Granny Rock's Facebook page. And it gave and the history. It gave the history, and it talked about things that people just don't seem to remember, uh, you know, which is that the United States was part of the world the imperialist world of the early 20th century that gave the Korean peninsula to the Japanese to run, right? Which maybe the Koreans didn't care for. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and that there used to be one Korea and that we, we and the UN, we were, of course, the only nation left standing at the end of World War II, superpower left standing. Uh, Basically, you know, we and the UN... Uh, divided up Korea, the Korean Peninsula, but then the, quote, North invaded the South. Now, I love that. Now, it's not that I'm trying to defend uh, the North Korean government. That's kind of, that's absurd. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, let's look at, at the history. The history is you divide a country into, so let's say we, some, uh, the, uh, the Koreans came over, they were now the superpower, and they divided the U.S., at the Missouri line, right? Or Mississippi. Uh, and they got really upset, and the Americans got upset because we had been divided. And so some people invaded from Massachusetts, went down to, you know, Arkansas, and that we would call that an invasion. We wouldn't call that an invasion. We would call that we're angry that our country has been divided and we're fighting to get it back. And so, and, and, you know, let's say they set up a puppet government in, you know, in Arkansas. 
I mean, the, just the absurdity of it. So, so we say that the North invaded the South after we had divided up the country. <laughs> right. I mean, doesn't that seem a little bit wacko? But of course, what we really know is that the Chinese were the, were, were were backing the Koreans and the Americans, the the North Koreans, and the Americans were backing the South Koreans, and that we were fighting the Cold War over the bodies of the Koreans and. In the Korean War, it was more people were killed in the Korean War. No, more bombs were dropped. There was more air bombs were dropped in the Korean War than in the entire World War II Pacific action. And this happened over a very short period of time. And 1.5 million civilians, I believe, were killed on both sides, but mostly in North Korea. And then wow. we bombed. We bombed and bombed and bombed and bombed North Korea. Now, do you think maybe those people might not trust or like us? It's amazing to me whenever these obvious historical facts come to the surface. Yeah. And where and where have they been, by the way? Really? Uh, you know that 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 it makes so much sense what's going on, and we don't have this context. No, no, and it's, again, I'm not defending North Korea, but they were very isolated, and they were very much damaged, and it's not surprising that it's easy to turn the North Koreans against us, because they already were against us, because of what we did, and so when I did a post on that, and just try to share that information, I was attacked by people who refused to watch the video. Right, it's <laughs> And crazy. One, one person... I mean, you know, and the level of the argument was something like, you moron, or commie, fink, punk, go back to Korea where you belong, or something like that. And, you know, that was a real intelligent and deep discussion about (laughs) the history, you know, and I'm thinking, what is with these people? Oh, yes, and one guy said, you have missed the point. This was done by the UN. Excuse me, it was done by Truman and MacArthur. If anybody doesn't know that that was MacArthur's war, in fact, MacArthur went way past what he was supposed to do in terms of being aggressive in Korea. So it's like, why do we, it's this this absolute need to pretend that we are blameless. We have not, so whether we're talking about individuals, like, oh, I didn't do anything, I don't want to be shamed for having been wrong, and I'm absolutely dedicated to keeping my opinion and don't tell me what the facts are, it's equally true in our personal relationships as it is in our, you know, in our world history. But if it's something that's going on in the other side of the world, we particularly don't want to know about it. And when people who are defending Confederate symbols seem to conveniently forget that this war was fought not only about the uh, keeping the Union together, but it was also fought about slavery, and that, you know, they just don't want to know that. It makes me kind of sad. I feel bad for people. It's like, why are people so dedicated to staying ignorant, pretending that they don't know, and not hearing each other's pain? Why is that? And well, that's it, what I would like to, you know, us to talk about. Right. I mean, it, it seems so absurd on the one hand and yet it is completely universally prevalent on the other hand and it's one of those questions that makes us just scratch our heads about humanity you know we are morons we are are verifiable 
morons. You know, it, it's it's so obvious that the thing we have to do is we have to pay attention to everyone's pain. Exactly. We have to pay attention to North Korea's pain and Trump's pain and this That's guy so- Paddock's pain and everybody's pain. We have to pay attention to it or we will crumble. And That's right. That's right. And it's exactly the same thing. I mean, maybe there are a lot of people in the South who feel like they haven't had power and who are looking for a way to assert their power. But are they people in the South or are they white people in the South? And if if it's white people in the South, why do they feel the need to do that? You know, um, it's astounding when white people still walk around acting as though we are the oppressed minority. If they all the statistics show that white people are have more money and more opportunities than black people, and yet we still want to act like the oppressed uh, minority. So obviously there is something going on with white people. So what is it? What is that pain? So it's not good enough to say, I hate to disagree with you, but I mean it's not good enough to say we are morons. I know you didn't really mean that. It's uh, it's we are morons because we don't ask that question. Exactly, we're morons because we're not educated. Because we we don't know. Question: We're not asking the question. Why are white people freaking out? And uh, some people are have addressed that well because they feel like they're losing power. Well, did we ever have power? Did the white working class have power? I don't remember that. I know we had more privilege. Then black people, you know, one, one thing that kind of turns my stomach is I know that many white people today, because now we could look at, at the Kaepernick thing, right, and the, uh, the black athletes who were trying to assert themselves, you know, there was so much resentment came uh, from the football fans. Uh, hey, guys, just go play ball. Don't think, don't protest, don't be upset, you know. And all of a sudden, this resentment came out about these overpaid athletes who happened to be 70% black. And, it re- and, and I even heard people saying they're getting paid all this money to play a game. Play a game? They're p- getting paid all this money to sell out the, f- the futures of their bodies and their brains for the entertainment of the people who are sitting in the stadium watching them kill each other. Right, and That's- to make money for the, co- for the people that own them and the advertising companies. That's right. And maybe to lift their families or the communities out of poverty, you know, are the only options they feel they have. And it's the same thing. There's a lot of resentment against black entertainers for the same reason. How does this black guy get to make so much money? But I remember growing up, every image on TV and in the movies of black people was you were either a maid or you worked uh, in the, you know, in the train as the, the the Pullman car people, you know. Right, they, right. They were stupid, obsequious, like, oh, yeah, man. You know, it was nauseating. It was nauseating, and I saw that, and people, and black people grew up with that. The idea that there is no discrimination against black people is absurd. And yet, white people are also in pain. And those who just want to come out and say, white people are. Or, I mean, as though there's such a thing as white people, you know, as though they're, they're, that white people are just one thing. Like, there's only black people are one thing, and white people are one thing, and women are one thing, and men are one thing. <laughs> and Republicans are one thing, That's and Democrats are one thing. Exactly. Exactly. So, so why is it that we can't 
stop. I think people are so afraid of not getting their needs met that they're terrified of taking on everybody else's needs as well. Not remembering that if we all pool our resources, we will have more than enough to meet everyone's needs. But we just, we don't trust that because that's not what we've seen in our lives. We don't see the people who have, for instance, lots of financial resources. You know, some people who have lots of money are very generous, but it's like they are seeing themselves as charitable and giving because they're nice rather than we ought to be sharing all of this because we're all one. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And uh, the whole idea of rich people paying more of their share by paying higher taxes or giving charity is not the point. The point is we need, and this gets to the point of this discussion today that you wanted to talk about, is like what does the alternative universe look like, right? What right. does it look like? Well, supposing we had a minimum income instead of a minimum wage. What would that change? Just that one thing. What would that one thing change if we had a living income? It would give safety and security to a lot. Exactly. I think we would all feel, I personally, I'm incredibly insecure. You know, James and I are doing okay now. We're in our 70s, but I'm still working. You know, I don't know how long I can work. I don't know how long I'll have clients, people who will pay me, <laughs> right? And right. Uh, when that stops, it, I, I, we don't have enough money to live on. I mean, not even remotely do we have enough money to live on based on our Social Security income. So it's like it's, it's very upfront and personal. I think, okay, when I run out of money, I think I'll give myself a mickey and shoot myself you know uh, I don't know what I would do and uh, you know uh, and people who have children to worry about or they have elders that they have to care for all of this stress because everybody is not guaranteed so it's not just that I'm afraid because I wouldn't have an income I worry about James what would happen if something happened to me now and I couldn't work and uh, or I died, and he wouldn't have enough income. And then what about people, people who are caring for children or elders who have to? I mean, we we were in a situation where we were giving money both to a child and to a elderly mother, and we're in our seventies. <laughs> you know, it's like okay. See, how, how much more relaxing would it have been for us if we weren't having to worry about them? So right. whether it's not, we don't have to worry about ourselves, we don't have to worry about them. I can't stand walking down the street and seeing homeless people extend their hand to me. I, I, I'd rather not go out. I think I'd rather hide in the house than have to see all the needs and all the poverty around me. So why don't I just stay home? Um you see what well, I mean? that's that's essentially what what we've been doing. You know, is we don't want to see all the poverty and pain around us, so we stay home, so to speak. You know, yes, exactly. We stay in our heads. We create the world. That we, we blame do. them that they're just yeah. not trying. Right. You know, they don't. I mean, it, it's, but it's all fear. It's all the fear that if we acknowledge each other's needs, then we 
individually certainly won't get our needs met. Right. Right, and what I and I'm saying, and I know you're saying too, is that we are not getting our needs met this way. Right. Uh, but we're terrified it would get worse. Right, and you know, if everyone were getting their needs met, we wouldn't be having this degree of anger, polarization, and violence because people would feel relaxed, cared, and cared for. And yet, this is not even a conversation. It's not even a conversation in our world. I don't hear anything about the but in uh, about the new budget proposal that says that everyone in our let's say to start with our own country we should have their needs met. Never hear that. It's like, oh yeah, okay, we're going to give you a small tax cut, and then we're going to get a big tax cut. So we're going to take care of you and you uh, for the wealthy. For the wealthy, uh, 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 you're, so you're going to get a little tax cut. We, the wealthy, are going to really get a big tax cut. And, uh, and and everything is just going to be hunky-dory. Nothing is about, what do you need? How can we provide it? While, and how is this going to get paid for, all these tax cuts? You're going to sit here and watch and see how quickly food stamps begin to disappear? Because, I mean, what do people need to eat for? I mean, it, <laughs> you know, it's... They've gotten a tax cut, after all. Exactly! They should be able to take care of themselves. Oh, yeah, Absolutely! Absolutely. So there it is. It's this absurd idea that I would have to take something away from myself to give to you in order to create a world where all of our needs get met, rather than for me to wake up and start thinking, no, my needs would get met. My needs would get met, and then I would have to start thinking about what I really need. You know, I wonder if there is any correlation, speaking of of that, you know, a society where our needs, where if we were relaxed, we wouldn't have all this pain. You know, if we had, if we had that relaxation, we wouldn't have all this pain that causes mass shootings and so forth. And, you know, I know in Australia, they've been, that's been around the news a lot in the last few days about that they banned assault weapons and they haven't had any mass shootings since. And so suicide's gone down 50% or something like that. And, uh, and other things, and I was just thinking. I was just thinking in this moment. I wonder if socialized medicine has something to do with all these countries—the UK, Canada, you know, all these places that that uh, don't have anywhere near the the rate of murders that we have. And I wonder if part of that is the relaxation of knowing that they have that social backup. I th- I don't know if the if you know I could not answer that question. Uh, about if there's a direct correlation. No, I know. I just. But what you're saying is absolutely true. The essence of what you're saying is true. That people are so afraid. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't going to be disturbed people, mentally ill people in any society, but they might actually get some care. Well, and that's one of the things that that has also been in the in the news lately, you know, is that it's interesting how the mentally ill in Canada and the UK and Australia don't commit mass murders. <laughs> there 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 have to be mentally ill people everywhere, but yes. they're not killing each other in other places, only here yes. or pre- predominantly here. Yes. Well, we have such a culture of violence. You know, when you think about how our nation began, we did not come from a, uh, a feudal society. 
we came straight in with a capitalist society from the beginning. Uh, you know, these trading companies were the beginning of mercantile capitalism, right? And um, although we had so many communalists who came, people like, I'm sure the pilgrims were much more communal than we, and the uh, friends. The Quakers. The Quakers, yes. And they, they had that as a spiritual philosophy. But the economic philosophy that founded America was capitalism and slavery, which is so odd, isn't it? Like a, the, it was at the time the most modern form of economics, with one of the oldest form of uh, of, of uh, workforce exploitation. Yeah. So between the two of them, uh, we know that that's a lot of where the, I mean a lot of the wealth of the United States, including the wealth of the North, where they were making the ships that were doing the slave trade. And making the universities that were, you know, training the people to be businessmen to, you know, go out and make more money. Yes, absolutely. And so I just wanted to make a point about the fact that the North was as steeped in the slave trade as anybody else. And uh, so there is no moral, uh, you know, superiority. It's just that one person, in one area, they lived on the plantations and the other, they were building the boats and uh, running the companies that were, you know, and 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 the banks that were getting the money out of the the trade. Um, but anyway, back to so we we kind of were founded on two opposing principles. One was the communalism of the the uh, so many of the religious organizations that were seeking asylum in the new world, and at the same time, unbridled capitalism was how we began our, our, our lives. And uh, because um, if, when you think about it, the, uh, the, the, all these, the Dutch and the Spanish and the Portuguese and the French and the British, and they're all fighting there, you know, because it was a new world. Everybody could fight all for the, um, the bounty of the, of the U.S., the, the incredible raw materials that we had, the land that we had, and right. for the trade and to develop agriculture and, and factories, although that many, many nations there, uh, the, the capitalist mentality from many nations came and fought one another for who was going to own the resources of this nation. And, um, you know, the British won. Then we won the United States. That so well, we started to gobble up what Spain had conquered, and then what the French had, and we gobbled it all up. But this kind of individualism was, at the same time as we've had this communalism, have run through our history in a very, very strong way, without a sense of place, with a place where people, uh, you know, people created communities when they got here out of necessity and desperation, but not because their families had lived in the same community for hundreds of years. It was all about getting opportunities and making money. And so that kind of fight for yourself, for your rights, whether it's international or it's one company company fighting against the other or just the capitalist ethic of dog-eat-dog, is very much a part of our psyche right here in the U.S., and it's difficult uh, for people to recognize that we're just programmed. 
Right, and it's been the lure of lots and lots of people who live elsewhere to come here for that very same thing, the land of plenty, you know, the opportunity to own your home and so on and so forth. I want it, we've only got 20 minutes left, and I really want to uh, also let our audience hear about some of the wonderful ideas that have been shared over the last weeks um, about what it might look like if we could think in terms of oneness if we could change our belief system from this old individuality and me 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 ego based thinking yeah you know what might it look like well why don't you share some of the things that came up at our last event which was great everybody should come to our events really there's no excuse get on the internet you can join us yeah, absolutely we it's would love free. to have you it's and, free exactly and life changing I want to say one of the things about it uh, as a kind of introduction that the idea was for those of us who are part of the innerrevolution.org who have current careers and different fields that we would think about what our particular field might look like uh, if we lived in a world that cared about everybody, including the earth, in which we really wanted everyone's needs to be met. And there was a lot of resistance, even among our own members, to doing that thinking. You know, we want Beth to think for us or somebody else to think for us. And I just wanted to share that, you know, be transparent about that because, it, you know, it's we are having the same blocks that everybody else is in yeah. terms of changing the way that we're thinking so that we can co-create a, a different world. But we did overcome it <laughs> in time for the event that we had on September 30th. And again, we are having another one on October 28th to deepen and broaden that conversation. And in the September 30th event, we spoke uh, about, a couple of people talked about education, someone else talked about health care, I talked about counseling, and some of the things that were shared were so touching about, because it requires thinking, and I think this, I just want to emphasize this because I think one of the problems of why we don't change our world is that people don't want to think. Or have been trained not to. Exactly, they've been trained not to, and and we we have just gotten into that cycle of, you know, feed me entertainment, you know, feed me what I should be doing, whatever it is, instead of I need to think about this and be able to really consider whether the world is right the way it is or whether it's harming people and so forth. So when they were talking about education, one of the things that we emphasized a lot was about that, that of course we need to read and write and so forth. But, you know, if we're going to have a common core principles, you know, common core curriculum, one of the main things on that curriculum really needs to be teaching our children how to think, yeah. how to evaluate, you know, the world and their surroundings and their relationships and everything, how to, how to be able to evaluate and, and use critical thinking skills in everything that they face in their lives. And, and if they did, they would be growing up looking at things in a very different way. And I do believe, I was talking with Todd Benton, you know, who is on the outreach committee with me today, and we were talking about how companies that were very, very popular with baby boomers 
uh, they're in the top 10 uh, popularity, these companies with baby boomers. And then with the Gen X, they're in the top 50. But within the, with the millennials, they do not want companies that are out for greed. And these companies that are greedy, 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 that we all thought were just great, uh, they want companies that have a, a, an environmental component or that are giving you know, away a pair of shoes for every pair that you buy or things like that. So you know, we must be moving in some direction of, of being able to expand on our critical thinking or that wouldn't be happening, I'm, I'm hoping. I think uh, that's fantastic, Helen. Yeah. We need to not only be taught how to think, but also how to care. Absolutely. That we, it, it goes right along with it. If you're going to evaluate what's happening around you and whether it's working, we have to care about each other. It has to start from a place of oneness. Yes, and that that is the only practical way to run a society. Because Absolutely. If, if people, it's, you know, the, people try to make us look like we're dreamers. We are not dreamers. They're delusional. And I say that with all humility. And I say that because it is delusional to think that you can oppress people and that they will not be angry. It is delusional to think that you can stir up people's rage and blame against each other and that they will not act it out. And it's it's delusional to think that we can ignore the needs of the mentally ill or the you know learning disabled or the physically challenged or whatever, and that they they will not become uh, more and more have more and more distorted views of what society is and act out their pain in some way. You see, again, the United States grew up, uh, and I, I keep referring to our history today, but it grew up far away from Europe, you know, when it used to take so long by boat to get to the U.S., and we, we thought we were, you know, a world of our own, and then we discovered that, you know, then there were planes, and suddenly you could get there fast, and uh, we could go out there, and we could send out our Navy or our ships, and we could uh, join the other, uh, you know, um, imperialist nations and you know this is not like oh i'm using imperialism as a bad word it's just a reality that were that that tried to co- that colonize all the colonial nations when they when their colonies started to fight back you know in the 20th century we were on the wrong side guys you know we we supported the british and the french <laughs> you know and that's one of the reasons that we're in this condition but then but we are still felt safe like, oh, yeah, the peasants in Mozambique aren't going to be able to come over and bomb us. We could bomb them, but they can't bomb us. You see, this is what North Korea represents. It's like suddenly we are in a position where we are just as vulnerable as other people or our allies are. And 9-11, am I being clear? Yes. 9-11 was the wake-up call of the century. Right. But nobody woke up. Exactly. You know, the wake-up call that said... You cannot ignore the impact of what you and the West are doing in the Middle East and think you can continue exploiting these people and that there will be no retribution. And suddenly there was retribution. But did we learn that we need to start thinking in terms of oneness? No. We went and we, we demonstrated that we had bigger bombs than they did and that we could, you know, we could intervene in Iraq and we can do what a mess that's turned out to be, you know. It's all so delusional. It's delusional thinking. And yet those of us who are calling for common sense, 
for reality-based, for understanding, saying it's like we must understand. We are called dreamers, conscious, whatever the hell they can think of to say about us when we have our feet on the ground and our eyes open and our hearts open and our arms open and we are saying that this is not just the preferable way to live. It is the only way that we will survive. You know, our what we have done to our planet is not only shocking, shameful, and immoral, it is suicidal. And, you know, they're talking about sending people to Mars in 2025. I ain't going. I, I can't see all of us getting on spaceships and going to Mars. What are we going to go? We're going to trash another uh, planet. I don't think we've got the, you know, what the technology hasn't brought us to the place that we can do that yet. Just give us some time. Then we can go trash some other place. So it's it's not a question of can we, should we, eh. This is about we must, we must, we must. And are we willing to hear that message? And I, I think... People are beginning. I mean, I don't know whether it's in time to save us or not, but I think people are beginning to hear it. If we get back to the discussion about, you know, the the issues and ideas and concepts that were brought up on September 30th, you know, in the education field um, and in the healthcare field too, you know, trauma-informed care is much more prevalent and restorative justice is much more prevalent. You know, the idea that we have to be compassionate with one another, we have to be understanding when people bully, you know, what is the way to handle that? You know, it's not to to punish each other and cause more alienation and resentment. It's to get together and yes. work out the pain and connect to the pain and heal the pain. And yes. the same the same thing with trauma-informed care that, you know, you can identify very early in someone's life that they've been traumatized by a very simple questionnaire. And then the healthcare system has to be geared toward providing care for that person so that they don't become the next paddock or the next, you know, uh, the yes. next person who kills themselves or the next drug addict. But yes. they, you know, so I think people are, and that's, and that is evidence of the oneness that, that it has to be this way, that the school system in San Diego is embracing restorative justice and the Kaiser Permanente healthcare system is, is embracing trauma-informed care. These are big, big, you know, multi, multi-million dollar, you know, endeavors here, um, but they and they don't want to spend that money, but they are they are embracing it because they have to. They yes. real they realize that the way they've been doing it is costing them and this is just practicality speaking, yes, you know, that's costing exactly. them way, way more money in lawsuits and you know, and healthcare after the fact than if they did something to prevent it. So it is very down to earth, all these ideas about and, and about critical thinking and everything else that they discussed on the 30th about education and about healthcare of, of getting rid of the hierarchy. And, yes, have, and, have, and taking care of health so we don't exactly, need healthcare. Exactly. So, you know, the best the best way to have health care is to start by having healthy children who get clean air, clean water, clean food, healthy food, exercise that is for their bodies instead of for their egos, where they're not competing and breaking their bones, but they're actually getting exercise to promote. It's like getting our needs met. Getting our needs met is the, is the best budget. It's, the, it's the, putting our, our resources into meeting our needs 
is what is going to heal our hearts, is what's going to heal our relationships so we don't feel threatened by each other, and is going to balance the budget because we're exactly. not spending money on all this after the mess. It's like looking at global warming and saying, oh, my God, okay, how many hurricanes can we plan on for this year? Oops, okay, oh, no, we need to plan on more hurricanes. How much money is it costing us to fix the problem rather than to stop the problem? And we can't, we're not fixing the problem either. You know, that's the sad thing about it is once there are hurricanes, once global warming happens, there is no fixing it. Once you have destroyed yourself from being traumatized as a child, there is no fixing that often. You know, and the same thing with bullies in the school. You know, once they get to a certain point and they've been punished enough, you know, they are already the next mass shooter. So there, there is no way to ever make up the the cost of what they would be saving if they had just put the money into prevention and meeting everybody's needs in the first place. And I wanted to mention also that counseling was one of the other things that we talked about. And we were talking about one of the basic needs of humanity in terms of mental, emotional well-being is connection. Yes. And yet we are not taught, as again, going back to education and health care, we are not taught how to have healthy relationships. And, you know, that whether we're talking about relationships with our siblings or our mother and father or we're talking about at school or we're talking about international relationships between nations, we do not know how to co-create healthy relationships in which we care about what everyone's needs are. And it starts with that. You know, from education, from early, early childhood. And again, I want to be hopeful, though, that we we had one of our guests on the the radio show was Christina Volmari, who is one of the uh, directors of the education system in, in Finland. And they emphasize from from preschool, you know, as soon as they can talk. They emphasize caring for each other and helping each other and establishing those relationships and the compassion and all of that before they ever focus on teaching them to read or write or whatever. And they do that all the way through school. The, the, the kids that are quicker learners help the slower learners. Yes. And the trades are uh, honored just as much as the professions and so on and so forth. So there are even some existing models that that seem to be working that yes. are that are emphasizing the things that we really need so we have five minutes to close I wonder if we should take a quick break and have James tell us about what's going to be on next week and then we can come back and Good, you can summarize I, I Beth I know you do I know heart. I know you can feel it huh yes okay then next week's program Cooperative businesses are not socialist propaganda, they are American. Join our guest, Esteban Kelly, Executive Director for the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives, to hear all about it. The In Revolution supports an evolution in our economy to move away from the disproportionate distribution of wealth toward an economy and society where individuals' needs are met. How can we do this? Esteban Kelly has some answers. As an important leader and creative force in a solidarity economy and co-op movements, this statement will share the reality what it takes for the economic model to transform. Let's challenge ourselves to move beyond our ego's view of life, where only my needs matter, and be inspired by the cooperative movement. With oneness, accountability, and mutual support, we can create a different world. So join us. And now, 
for a final few words. By the way, it's probably Esteban for those who... Oh. Uh, James did not see, he did not take Spanish in high school. And you can see the, the result of that. Well, first of all, I want to thank you so much, Helen, for this. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I hope others did too. Um, we would like all over the place, but that's exactly what we have to do is change everything. Exactly. Uh, we've got an, another event on October 28, 2017, but we are going to be continuing. We are not going to stop. We're not going to shut up. What I want to say is something is like stirring in me that I feel is like, oh, the wrong thing to say. You know, this nation has a spiritual foundation as well as a material foundation. It is the spiritual foundation that we saw in the communalists of, you know, early Christians. It is in the, the belief that in God we trust. I am totally opposed to having mixing religion with the state. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about the essence of spirituality, which is the acknowledgement of oneness. It is the recognition that I am my brother. It is the feeling of connection. This is what spirituality is really about. And we pay a lot of lip service to our gods, but we do nothing to honor our God. If we have a God that is truly a spiritual symbol it means that we would stop crapping all over each other and, and justifying our anger and our rage, and we would start to honor the earth and honor the beingness of everyone. And so we are calling for an inner revolution. We are talking about co-creating a world that meets everyone's needs. And at the same time, I just want to throw in that extra dimension, which is if we are going to put our money where our mouths are, we call ourselves a Judeo-Christian culture, and there are many Muslims as well. I say, prove it! Show me! Yes. Show me the way you are caring, uh, whatever religion you are, that you're caring for the earth, that you're caring for one another. If we followed Jesus, we would be different. Yes. And that's what I'm asking us to do, to add that dimension of knowing, of uh, calling ourselves to account on our spiritual level as well. It's all part and parcel, isn't it? Yes, it is. You know, but the spirituality, our spiritual belief, and whether we believe in oneness or not is the core of everything else we do. So I'm so glad that we're ending on that note. And thank you. What a pleasure it always is to have you. And thank you, James. And please do look us up um, on Facebook. Uh, Granny Rocks is Beth's Facebook. And we also Granny have... Rocks on. Don, Granny Rocks on. GrannyRocksOn.com. And we also have Beth in the Inner Revolution on Facebook. And there are wonderful posts, commentaries, stories, videos. You know, you can find it all on the Facebook pages as well as the YouTube uh, Beth Green TV. So please join us on October 28th. And any other time you feel like it, you can find all kinds of stuff all over at the website, the Facebook, and on the uh, uh, YouTube. So, and by, the, by the way, from the reaction to the Las Vegas post... People know that what we're saying is true, and that yes. is hope. Yes, that is hope. So let's leave on that hopeful note. Thank you all. We love you, audience, and uh, keep on changing and growing right along with us. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be inspired. Join us.